Hey friends, I'm Julie Holmquist and you are listening to Kairos Moments Podcast. God's been speaking to you for a while and you know you are called to something. It's time to stop playing it safe with your faith, time to lean into your calling, and time to bring those God-given dreams to life. It's time. Let's do this together. Welcome back, friends. If you are a believer, you have been called to lead, to have influence, and to make an impact for God's kingdom. Have you ever wondered why you aren't further along in your calling? Have you ever questioned God's timing for you? Do you question where God's placed you in leadership? Or do you have a God-given dream that hasn't come to fruition yet? If so, this episode is for you. Today's guest is my new friend, Jan Greenwood. You're going to love our conversation. You are going to fall in love with Jan. As a side note, we both love fast cars, and it's funny how God has even used our love of fast cars to speak to each of us. You'll probably listen to it a couple times and take notes. It is so rich. It's full of truth and wisdom. So I want to encourage you to put your earbuds in and be prepared to be encouraged, challenged, and changed. God has a dream for you, friend. You've been called to lead, and Jan is eager to intersect your life in this critical season of your development as a leader. Jan has written a couple books, Women at War Declaring a Ceasefire on Toxic Female Relationships, and her newest book, which just released this year, is called The Grace-Giving Leader. In this episode, we focus on a chapter called The Grace to Wait. It's grace that empowers us to not only fulfill our God-given dream, it's also grace that empowers us to wait. Jan encourages us to not despise the season of being obscure. If we try to push those doors open that God has not opened for us, the weight of our dream will crush us. Jan and I have never met, but she speaks a word into my life on this episode. And if you've been following me probably in the last three months, you know how God placed a dream in our hearts to move to Colorado Springs. That dream not only involved moving to Colorado Springs, but we had a dream of a ministry and a business. Although we moved there, that dream never came to fruition. He had to take me through a process in order to be able to receive a new dream from him. God had to uproot some weeds and to tear down some things before my heart was ready to receive a new dream from him. He had to plant and build a solid foundation where my calling, where I would really flourish in my calling. And I guess you could say he had to till the soil of my heart. He had to make it nutrient dense and able to sustain growth and to bear lasting fruit. So I can't wait for you to listen. Let's dive into our conversation with Jan. Jan, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad we're able to finally connect. I mentioned to you that I've had a number of people tell me that I needed to have you on the podcast, and I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and where you're at right now and a little bit about your book? Awesome. Well, let me just say thank you for the invitation. Even though I, you know, we talked about my friends and your friends, I'm always like, I'll pay them later because that means (laughs) they just love us. And uh, I'm really am excited to meet you, Julie, as we talked about our worlds have been pretty close and we just haven't intersected. So I, uh, I feel like we might gain a new friend today. So I'm excited about that. Yes, I am too. 
so my name is Jan Greenwood, and uh, I am calling myself these days the Ancient of Days. I won't tell you how old I am, but let me just say, <laughs> I'm always the oldest person in the room now. Uh, this will give you some idea. I've been married 37 years to my high school sweetheart. His name is Mark. We have four adult children. My baby is 22, and my oldest is 30. Uh, two of them are married. I don't have any grandkids yet, but I totally am jealous of all my friends who do. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that next season. Uh, I work as a part of a large church community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm a part of Gateway Church, and I've been a part of that congregation for 14 years now. Uh, in the past, I served in the area of uh, women's ministry, and for the past four years, I've been a part of what we call the Equip um, ministry, which is really a way of the, talking about discipleship. My job is to help people develop an intimate relationship with Jesus and to help them in their spiritual formation. I can't even believe I get paid to basically teach people truth and right. to help them work their life out in a spirit-led way. It's a beautiful thing for me. I've written a couple of books and I have a little side gig called Brave Strong Girl, which is an online Christian mentoring community for women which I really didn't intend to form, but uh, really what I wanted to do is gather all of my resources in one place uh, for my future children or grandchildren. I was uh, facing a um, fight with breast cancer and I just had the revelation that I might die. And if I did, I wanted to just my kids to be able to find these messages so that you know they could hear me speak about God, even if I wasn't present. Mm -hmm. But out of that came this journey and the birth of Brave Strong Girl, which I'm very proud of. And um, of course, if, I, if anything that I have, have done or offered would help someone, that would be like, you know, cherry on top for me personally. Uh, this last year, I wrote a new book called The Grace Giving Leader, and it's about how to develop people and lead teams and mentor well. I personally am very passionate about the call of God to be a leader, I believe. Every believer is a leader. Maybe my definition is a little different than the traditional viewpoint of leadership. And uh, as I've mentioned to you, I'm also very, very passionate about mentoring. I just believe that once we receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in us, you know, the last thing he said to us was go and teach. And so we carry in us a supernatural influence, whether we recognize it and steward it or not. We have something in us that is designed to bring people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to actually woo people to Jesus. But for whatever reason, way beyond my understanding, the Lord has chosen to allow people to partner in mm. that. Yeah. And so to me, you're a leader in every season, whether you are, you know, bear a title or run a company or, you know, you're the lowest entry person in an organization or you're leading the PTA or you're serving, you know, cupcakes to the Boy Scouts on Saturday morning mm -hmm. or raising your children or loving your husband. Like it is not about the role. It's not about our age or the season. So I've teased about this new book. If I called it uh, the grace giving follower, the other half of the body of Christ would be like, Oh, I want to, that's me. Cause I, I can be the follower. So <laughs> Kind of a funny way to name your book. And then basically I have to constantly convince the reluctant leader yeah. that God has a plan for their influence as well. Well, I got your book and I have it on Kindle, but I wish I'm going to order it. So I have a hard copy because I started, 
you know, you can highlight on the Kindle, but it's just not the same. Right. You know, and I found myself highlighting all of these things. And one thing I loved about it was how you do have that perspective of what a leader is. You elevate women, you elevate moms into their role as leaders. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of infused me with, yes, Mm -hmm. we are leaders of our, you know, I have four boys. I am leading, even though I'm a mom and they're all male, I'm raising husbands and fathers and teaching them what a godly woman is like. And, and so I loved how you elevated that. Now I know that journey for you leaving the workplace was a little um, discombobulating. (laughs) (laughs) How you, when you were working, you felt conflicted. You were at home and you were thinking about work all the time. When you were at work, you were thinking about being home with your kids. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, I would like to say to you, being a mom of four, I, I tease sometimes it took four kids and a lifetime to break selfishness out of me. <laughs> and that it wasn't until really when I had so many kids, I could not work outside the home. It wasn't a cost effective anymore. And God brought me home that I began to understand the greatest leadership call in my life was my children. Mm-hmm. So much more important than any work I've ever done in the marketplace or in the church. I believe that to this day. Because you see, biblical leadership is about building the kingdom of God. And it is about generational blessing. Mm. And I was blessing everyone else all over the place, scattering seed, you know, wide and far that I had no idea of anyone would ever produce any fruit and kind of neglecting the opportunity to seed the future of my family. And that revelation just changed my mind. If I could speak to any mom, it would be the mom of small children especially small, but even adult children, let me say I'm an adult parenting mom now. And it's hard. It's just flat out hard. So uh, being a mom is such a critical view. And I know that the scripture does not designate spiritual moms, but it does talk about fathers and that there are few. And I believe that's true about mothering too. Like I am a good spiritual mom these days because I had to learn how to be a good mother. Mm. And uh, in the grace of God, he took me home and privately caused me to completely see and view the role as so beautiful. And I know for some other people, like their view of mom and home is so beautiful and God drives them to the workplace and they go to work, you know, feeling like they're neglecting their family and they discover they have a call or a gift that's in the workplace as well. And I just think it's our culture to limit our viewpoint of the call of God on our life as Mm -hmm. if, if I can, you know, I live in the Bible belt. So, you know, there's a lot of belief that if you're rich enough to stay home with your kids, you, you are really living the high Christian life. And I just remind people all the time that women have always had to work, always had to provide for their families Mm -hmm. and work is not a sin. And to be able to stay home might be a privilege, but it is not it doesn't make you less of a mom if you need to work outside the home. So right. I still, to this day, if I go to my grave and a lot of nice friends say nice things about me, but my children ultimately don't have faith in their hearts, that, that'd be not good. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And you know, your call to your children is a lifetime call. Like you don't graduate. You don't get a bonus. You don't get a good job. You don't get a review. What you get is a lifetime of relationship and it requires constant work and maintenance and shifting. 
And I just feel like that's kind of how it is with God. He's always growing us, changing us. Just about the time we think we haven't figured it out, he throws us something different, something Mm -hmm. changes, his assignment changes. So this parent, this generational picture, not just parent-child, but the generational pattern that God has put in place is meant to speak to us, you know, about what it means to be a follower and a leader in the kingdom of God. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, I think we should always be leading Mm -hmm. and we should also be following, right? They go hand in hand. We can't be leading and just be out there by ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, doing it. Um, So that's really good. I want to talk about your book. I really want to hone in on chapter two, the grace to wait. I love that chapter. Rich. It is so rich and it's kind of funny how God gave you this metaphor of the grace and how grace empowers with the car. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because there was a season where, um, I, I used to drive a stick shift. It was a little sport car and I sold it just a couple years ago, but, um, I was sitting at, I, when I pulled up to a stoplight, I usually put it in neutral. So I didn't have to keep my foot on the clutch as well as the brake. This is how God speaks to me. He said, I want you to keep it in gear. And this is like your life. You may be sitting at the stoplight, but I want you to keep your car in gear for when the time comes, you are ready to go. Mm. And that when you're talking in your chapter about how grace is the, the power behind our serving and our leading, I was just like, I so resonate with that, how grace is the key that turns the ignition. So tell us a little bit more about that chapter, what that meant to you. I just love that illustration too. It just speaks so clearly to me. It's so practical. And I feel like men and women really relate to this illustration And I just talk about, you know, when you, maybe this is not your experience, but you know, for my four kids, we bought them junkers in high school. Right. And, uh, we paid cash for it. And, uh, I just use the illustration of, you know, you go through high school or whatever, and you get this car and it's really cruddy and it's a piece of junk and you just can't wait till you get, you know, that first job and you go out and you get your new beautiful car and it looks so gorgeous. And I'm just talking about how we want to upgrade in the spirit, but God doesn't really throw away your clunker. What he does is he actually begins to work under the hood, right? He's Mm -hmm. into the restoration business. He likes to take a vehicle, a person that may look worn and tattered on the outside, and he will begin to develop or restore the engine, which is the character of the person. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that even when the engine is set and maybe the outside still could look cruddy. But there is something that happens when you turn the key or I'll use the illustration. I just got a new car and it's the first paid for car I've had in years and years. And it has a push button start girls. I am in the high life. (laughs) And I just talk about when I push that button, kind of the thrill I have because there's this surge of power. And it's when you turn the key, but what turns the key, right, is actually the spark with gasoline. It Mm. it ignites the engine. And I talk about that grace is the key to power. It turns the resident power that is inside of us through Jesus Christ Mm. and causes it to spark. And it begins to move the car. The car can now do things it couldn't do before. 
And then I just take that illustration even further to the exterior. And I talk about being warned to not be fooled by a beautiful exterior in a really bad engine. I talk about, you know, buying a lemon where the outside looks good, but the inside doesn't work. And I talk about a lot of people are drawn to the exterior of your life. But ultimately, people who really sense something about you, they're going to take a look at your exterior, which probably, as you mature, as grace does its work in your life, you don't get the newest model. You get the model you have made beautiful. Mm. And people know it's authentic. And they begin to become. <laughs> and ultimately, for them to really trust you, they sort of ask to look under your hood. And that's the moment in a relationship, in a leadership relationship or a mentoring relationship, when I basically allow my real authentic self to be seen, not just the fruit of my life, but actually this is the story of how I got here. And this is what my engine did look like. Mm. And how did I get this fruit? Actually, I need to introduce you to the source of grace. And so cars just speak to me, by the way, I drove a five speed for years uh-huh. and um, one of my favorite cars was a little, uh, five-speed convertible. I absolutely loved it. I still get a search because listen, I'm rotten. <laughs> I love to go fast. <laughs> so do I. I love it when you put it into gear and it just <laughs> takes off. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> you and I could go on and on about cars. God speaks to me all the time. I'm just laughing at you. And I totally understand that. Uh, I understand putting in neutral, but I also understand being the first to get off the gate. You know, are you ready to move out when God releases the power. Are you ready? So mm. goodness, you and I could preach on cars. So yes. again, I'm wondering, did I answer your question? Yes, you did. I wanted to talk about Sorry. how grace empowers. And I love that when you were talking about the, you know, not looking at the outward, what the outside of the car looks like. Mm-hmm. I was, this scripture I read recently has just been sticking with me. And that is second Corinthians five, 12 where Paul was telling the Corinthians, don't look at the outside of some who might have a spectacular in the new living translation. It says, don't look at the outward of what, you know, the outward ministry of these spectacular ministries that some people may have be okay with the trials and the hardships. And it's okay. The power is not in how flashy you are, how, you know, how, how many followers you have on Instagram or whatever it is in the power, the inner work of the Holy spirit. So yeah, that really resonated with me. Sometimes trappings can be an indication of a leader that is worth following. So there's nothing wrong with success, correct. Or attractive ministries or powerful voices, Mm -hmm. but success is a whole nother leadership challenge that a person has to pass. And it's frankly, it's a harder one than the obscure one, you know, the waiting one. I think the success one is harder. So you don't have to be suspicious, but what you do is you have to look under the hood. Yeah. Don't be enamored of the exterior or even what I find all the time. I'm constantly coaching women about like, well, what's God doing in you and where's your influence and what can you do with what's in your hand now? And, you know, hearing, well, I like what such and such is doing. I like what such and such is doing. I see this, I can do that. And I do that too. I mean, I'm watching what others are doing and I think that would work for me, but can I just say there is no model that belongs to someone else. That's perfect for me. I might be able to pick and choose some pieces that work, but ultimately I have to come home and be content with the season, the timing, the resource, 
the physical strength, mm-hmm. the power of the anointing and the favor of God in the moment. And no yes. one has the same recipe as you. So be careful that in following someone, I was listening to one of your podcasts and I heard you quote Christine uh, Kane the other day. I love Christine Kane, of course, who doesn't? That's a, that's someone you ought to look under the hood. You right. want to know something? Just look under the hood and you'll you'll know why God has given her the favor that she has. But my point is, um, if my life is comparative to Christine Kane, then I'm a failure, right? Like I can never measure up to that, but I also did not pay the price she pays for what she has. Right. But by the same token, what I have, Chris can never have because she has not paid the price that I've had for the influence that God has given me. Exactly. And so breaking this comparison and this, oh my goodness, you know, I talk about in my book that comparison is a counterfeit for power. It's a counterfeit of grace. It's a fake grace. And you better Explain be that a little bit more. Yeah. Oh man, you better be careful because well, first of all, we have to face the test of comparison. Yes. It is human nature. And actually it's even, I think it's part of our spiritual nature to have the gift to judge. So what I mean by that is to weigh, to assess. I do not mean to pass judgment. That's Mm -hmm. totally clearly belongs to God. He warns us not to pass judgment, but he also gives us a supernatural sense of his presence. He builds his character in his word in us. And we can look at a situation and judge weigh if it's truth, if it's right, if it's wrong. Uh, but I just caution because it's so easy to mix judging with judgment. So comparison is an unhealthy fruit of judging, of weighing. Okay. Because when you compare, you are only ever going to be better or worse. You're either going to feel great or you're going to feel terrible. And either way, they're both fake. They're just not real. Mm. And so the goal is to judge to the word says for Paul, for example, says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, judge my life. And as I follow Christ, take that and duplicate it. Right. He's not Mm. saying compare my life, but he's saying pluck the fruit of my life. Mm, That's good. Right. So you wouldn't want to compare your life to the life of Paul because Paul, you know, I mean, Paul's so famous in the church and we honor Paul. I honor Paul. But Paul lost everything, everything that was spiritual, religious. I mean, he was born into a religious favor. He had, he was going to be the next, you know, chief of the church. He uh, had been trained. He was brilliant. Like in every way, Paul had favor. And when he was struck on the road to Damascus, Paul lost everything from his vision to his credibility, to his future. Mm. Everything Paul thought his life was going to be disintegrated now what Paul's life became is what we admire him for today right but in the moment of the conversion I don't know that Paul would have said this is a great and so same thing when we just talk about someone of Chris's caliber like you if you only look at the radiant thing that is now there you're going to really underscore what God is doing in your own life right so be careful with comparison. Yeah. Now tell me, let's back up a minute. You had made a statement that um, the harder test was a test of, did you say success? I did. Tell mm-hmm. us, tell us what you mean by that. 
Well, I think, you know, chapter two, the grace to wait is all about what God is doing in the obscurity and the waiting and what feels like I'm ready to go and he won't let you go. Or the season where you feel like you're qualified and ready and you hear God, but no one is giving you the platform or the favor, the door won't open. Mm -hmm. And I talk a lot in chapter two about that. And uh, it's very, very important to understand. And it is a extended period of the believer's life, honestly. But then there is a moment when the door opens and the favor of God comes to you and a platform, maybe one you didn't even long for or see comes. And I always say too late for preparation. Then Mm -hmm. whatever is in you is going to become clear to everyone. And the things that you used to be able to walk around with these limps in your life that maybe places God, you hadn't allowed God to work on yet. Other people wouldn't necessarily see because you were in private, uh, now become public. And if you've not done the work of God, your character will not sustain you in the moment of advancement. And sometimes I think we push so hard to advance, to be seen, to be known, to have greater leadership influence, to desire even a righteous desire to make God famous. Like, you know, I've said to him, I just want to make you famous. And God be like, well, I'm pretty famous. How much more famous do you want to make me? You know, it's be like, oh, did I want to make me famous? I thought I wanted to be famous, right? So like God is not concerned about being famous. He does not need me to make him more beautiful. What he needs is for me to authentically allow him to transform transform my broken places, to bring restoration to them, and then to humbly, humbly with wisdom, sort of show my weakness Mm. it's not my strength that really attracts people to me it's my places that have been weak it's my limitations it's my uh my longings that are unfulfilled it's my fears and concerns these are things people relate to they only relate to true success from a distance And I'm just, I'm not a person that was very satisfied with distance. I strove for that kind of success for years and years. And I share again in my book, my story of like working so hard to be recognized and waiting for someone to acknowledge how hard I'd worked and how great I was and no one would do it. Right. And when you finally are crushed by that, then all of a sudden, like even our conversation, you opened our conversation with, you know, several people have told me how to talk to you. That's the favor of God on my life. Right. That anyone would go before me and say, have, you know, let's connect you with Jan. That to me is big success. But if you put that on top of public success, just trust me. You don't know if you can trust the people around you who's drawn to you. And for what reason, um, spirits come to, pretend to be prophets. And I just think there's just so much, uh, it's just drawing nearer to the edge of the war between dark and light. And the more you draw closer, the greater your favor, the greater your success, the greater your visibility, the closer you are moving to the edge of dark and light. And you have to be prepared to endure the spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. and to walk so intimately with God that you can discern his voice, not anyone else's, because you won't be able to really discern the heart of men. So you have to be so intimate day after day with God to be able to hear him say, 
hold still, move left, move ahead. Don't do that. Do do this. So I just believe that public success is a much more difficult, tricky character uh, exposing test than obscurity. And that when you enter into public favor, you've, you've moved past preparation. People get tired of preparing, but let me just say, if God takes longer for your life to be prepared for public platforms, it's because he wants to put greater weight on your, on your life. So don't get in a hurry. You don't want to go till you're ready. I love that, Jan. That is so good. I've never heard anyone talk about, I've heard people say success is a test in and of itself, but I've never heard anyone talk about it in quite that way that you, well, I guess it boils down to, to whom, to whom much is given, much is required. That's right. And recently the Lord has been calling, pulling me back and on social media, he's like, I don't want you on there as much. And I'm like, but God, you know, the algorithms and I've, I've got momentum and all of this. He's like are waiting on me to show up. Yeah. I, I, mean, not, I, I tell myself that, but I don't really know who is waiting yeah. for me to show up. Exactly. Who went to bed that night and said, I didn't see Jan today. Yeah. Uh, probably only Jan, not even my own children care. <laughs> But he pulled me back and he's, he's, and I'm writing about it right now, but I thought my identity was firmly rooted in Christ and I'm discovering that it wasn't. Then he's taken me to an intimacy that I haven't experienced with him before. I'm a doer. Okay. So he's calling me to abide. That's what I'm trying to say. He's calling me to abide. And usually when he gives me a vision or he tells me this is what I'm going to do, I run with it. And then I look behind and he's way back there, you know, and it's like, he's no, in he's, a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's calling me to abide, which for mm-hmm. an action oriented extrovert, mm-hmm. that's not easy to do. And there was a period of time where he asked me to spend an hour with him a day on the couch with no Bible, no journal, no worship music, just sit there and be still. It freaked me out, Jan. Your whole body twitches, right? You're like, like, look at my fingernails. Look at my fingernails. My husband, who's an introvert, he's like, you could do that. I'm like, you know, it might be easier for you, but it was hard for me, but it's a lesson that I'm, that I'm learning. And I want to read this portion that you made mention of in your book. Maybe you are experiencing a season that feels like you are wasting time, energy, or resources. Maybe you feel stuck or even overlooked, or are you dreaming of a future that you can't yet embrace? Sometimes we believe that our dreams are so important that they can't or won't happen unless we break free of the restrictions of our current season, the demands of our family or the limitations of other people's needs. This is dangerous. God will hold you in a season until your character and relationships are ready to bear more weight. That is, (laughs) it is so good. That's the truth right there. I'm just telling you the truth. It is. And so if you can understand that you won't be quite so frustrated by what feels like holding you back. 
And it, I mean, you know, if the enemy's holding you back, by the way, you have complete authority. You can just slice him with your sword and that's enough of that. But sometimes it's God who's resisting you. And it's so hard to understand that he would want to resist you when he's given you a dream because he does put a dream in you and it makes you long to walk in it. And then he says, now put, I'm going to put that seed in the ground and let's see if it dies. Is it buried or is it planted? And can I just say it has to be buried first? Mm. Everything in the kingdom of God goes through a death, a burial and a resurrection. Yes. And the question is really like the question you're asking, God, is my dream, is it dead or is it going to be resurrected? And the answer is yes, it's dead. And when you really let it be dead, then we'll see, maybe it'll resurrect, but you won't be attached to that seed. You'll be attached to him. Mm. I think I found myself chasing the dream more than I did chasing God. And that's where he's pulling me back to that intimate place with him. Well, I just want to say congratulations to you, Julie. And uh, I know there's a bit of uh, mourning that goes with that. Um, I sense in you even like a little bit of the mourning is about that. You feel like you got deceived and you didn't know it. But I just want to encourage you that this is the this is the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And this is an ongoing part of our journey of learning more and more about how our spirit is meant to align with his spirit. And when that happens, then our flesh begins to yield. But when we don't realize our flesh is leading, it'll sound religious. Our flesh knows how to mm-hmm. talk right to us. You know, it knows all the Christian rules and ease. But I just want to congratulate you as a leader. You really are advancing toward the vision and the dream. God's just changing what you're idolizing. And, you know, he, he just doesn't tolerate idols. And he's happy to kill a dream because the dream is not, he can accomplish his purposes without your dream. Right. He gives you a dream because he understands how you're made. Let me just share with you. God had a dream and his dream was to bring all mankind back to himself. Mm. And his dream cost him everything and it had to die and go in the ground Mm. and be resurrected. So God knows what he's asking you to uh, allow him to hold, take, even kill. And, uh, so, and he also recognizes me and he and I are going to have a conversation about this. I don't understand why it has to be so uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. so clear. I just don't understand. Why don't you just tell me? I mean, there is this whole exploration thing. I've got this whole list of questions when I get to the throne. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be like, let me ask you these. (laughs) You know, I'm going to get there and be like, oh, none of that mattered. I'm here. Right. Right. But, uh, I just, I mean, I just have so many earthly questions that there are not answers to. But the few things that I have been able to determine or believe become so powerful. Like I really only know for sure one or two things that I'm I'm like, "Mm, I'd go to the grave on that. Even everything else in my faith is still a revelation to me. I'm still, like you said, I thought my character was identity was fully in Christ. And I found out I kind of had a wild tear over here. You know, I had a weed. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see it. That's how the Christian life is. And we are constantly, that's sanctification. That is the process of becoming less like our, less like our uh, corrupted selves and more like the sanctified presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it is extremely uncomfortable. It's filled with joy. You know, joy is not just standard happiness. Right. Like right. a confident expectation of the goodness of God. Oh yes. He will work 
good. Not good like I, I don't understand good. Apparently I have a very narrow definition of good because lots of stuff in my life is bad. And I'll tell the word that is not good. Mm-hmm. That is not good. And I, I feel like sometimes the Lord's like, that's right. And I'm not that. So I'll just take my sickness as an example. Uh, being diagnosed with breast cancer is not good. Breast cancer is not good. Right. I don't think God gave me cancer. I don't think God wants me to have cancer. I don't think he likes it. You know, so much of my life is devoted to trying to overcome something that's bad. But I can assure you that no greater good has come out of my heart than to be tested by what is bad. Mm. So y'all, he just doesn't think the way we think. His character is so beyond our understanding. And these seasons that you and I are talking about are working in us a grace to wait, a grace to trust, a grace to receive the true authentic power that comes through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like even I just have such a greater appreciation for the fruit of the Spirit, much less the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like Right, right. Love power gifts. I love mm-hmm. power. That's how I got this whole discussion. I'm like, I want godly <laughs> power. You know, I thought I was gonna like rip it from the atmosphere and you know, knock people down. And you know, God's like, uh, I'm gonna make you weak. Mm. If you really want power, Jan, I'm gonna make you weak. I don't know if I would have prayed so confidently if I'd known that would be the cost, but I am incredibly grateful to be weak. I need mm. to be weak in order to remember who is strong. Yeah. And that's a good word to leave on. That is so good. When we're weak, he is strong. And it's not, I had a conversation with this about this with someone recently. It's not um, acknowledging our weakness. It's embracing it. That's right. It's just a fact. Resting in it a little bit like, Oh, I'm weak. I'm going to be limited in what I can physically or emotionally or spiritually do because I am still contained in a limited vessel. Yes. But one day we shall be redeemed. (laughs) Yep. Every single part of us. Yes. (laughs) It's going to be so glorious. Well, I look forward to connecting with you later this summer, Jan, and thank you again for just blessing my audience and for being who you are. I love, I could like, just talk to you forever and Thank you. Yeah. So Julie, I just encourage you. You're doing a good work. Uh, You shared with me, you know, you're in Charlotte now. And of course, I love that area of the country. And I just, I pray that you make the best friends and that uh, your congregation is just blessed by your presence and you're blessed by them. And if I can help you at all, please let me know. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't you just love Jan? She's just a wealth of wisdom and She's got a mentor's heart. So go grab Jan's book, The Grace Giving Leader. You can pick that up wherever books are sold. And check out the show notes. I'll have lots of links there where you can uh, connect with Jan, learn about her ministry. And if you haven't already done so, go ahead and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So see you next time, friends.